Welcome back to the 20 Plus Podcast. This is Pastor Logan here with 20 Plus from River Valley Church in the Minneapolis area. Super excited to have you back with us for part two of our Culture Convo series on family dysfunction. If you missed the last episode with Keith and Kristen Peterson, make sure to listen to that as well. Their story will challenge you and inspire you. And they found Jesus in their later young adult years and um, struggled with infertility and just different family issues that all of us deal with. And their story is just so incredible. And they're so incredible encouraging and inspiring. So make sure if you haven't listened to that, jump back and listen to that after this episode. Uh, But today I'm super excited because we get to hear from Pastor Alan Pastion, who is our Woodbury campus pastor here at River Valley. And before that, he was actually our youth pastor here, which means he was my youth pastor growing up. And so growing up, Pastor Alan was a huge person in my life. He helped me through, you know, middle school, which is such a tough time and through early years of high school. And um, God has just used him in so many people's lives and in mine especially. And I know I wouldn't be the man I am today without him. So just want to shout Pastor Alan out. Thank him so much for the person he is and uh, excited to share this interview with you. Uh, it was done by Brett from our city region. Uh, he interviewed Pastor Allen up there on family dysfunction. All of this, you'll be hearing his story about what he was able to go through with his family. And uh, I, I've listened to it twice already, and I'm just inspired and pumped for you to listen to it. So we're going to jump right into this interview. Enjoy it a lot. Here we go. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Alan Passion from the Woodbury campus? Woo. Wow, you have the softest shirt on I've ever felt. It's like, I, tell, I was saying, somebody goes, oh, that's so soft. I said, I'm zenning in the Sherpa. It's like, I'm basically, I'm talking to you and talking to Jesus at the same time. It's so freaking comfortable. It's nuts. But amazing. That's amazing. Well, um, let's get rocking and rolling here. Um, yeah. My first thing, tell us a little bit about kind of your upbringing. Tell us about how you found Jesus, when you found Jesus. What did that look like? Um, was there a moment for you or... Um, did you grow up in church? What well, I mean, tell us about that. Well, you know, I think everybody finds God like there's. I think there's some people that have like rock, crazy rock, rock moments where you're just like, my world's rocked. And then you have those that like somewhere along the way. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, so all of those are unique to everybody. But my, uh, for me, I grew up in a um, in a once or twice a year home, like Lutheran kid. My dad was a, uh, my mom and dad, like, we went there to make sure Jesus went through a lightning bolt at us and smite our evil. So that's why we went to, uh, you know, the Lutheran church at the time. And it was great. We did it. It was cool. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, you just kind of, and then when you get confirmed, you get a bunch of presents and money, and then you never go back to church because you don't have to in the Lutheran church world. Um, they want you to, but you don't. So at least I didn't. And so then high school comes and high school was, was really, it was one of those things where when you're not a Christian in high school, I feel bad for the Christians in high school. Cause you're like, please God, I can't go to the parties. I can't sin. I can't sleep with my girlfriend. But when you're in high school and college and not a Christian, you're like, well, anything goes, this is really, really a wild time. And that's kind of how it was. It was just, you know, I played football, I played tennis, I was in acting, I was in, uh, you know, I was just all over the place because I'm a social. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Make some noise if you're a seven. Let's freaking go. Um, <laughs> my wife is a six. We have a great flow. Um, it's super great. And, um, you know, it's just my daughter's a three. My son's a four. The whole, we're all Mr. Wild if you're into that stuff. But for me, I was the life of the party. So put, like, 
a bottle of tequila in me, and I was a DJ in college, and, in, and when I got to college, so I was really loving, I was all about music, I was all about raising the roof, you know what I mean, and it was like, let's go, you know, it was, and it was wild because, I mean, this is back, so I am 49 and a half, or excuse me, going to be 49 in like half, like a month, and um, so I'm going to be 15 a year. So this would have been like Stranger Things like days of, you know, phones with long cords on them and, you know, everybody just going around and the 80s were cool back then. They're cool now, but back then it was all we knew. So I'm a total 80s kid. And so back then it was just what we did. We just hung out, had a blast, went to, graduated, went to college um, and really found my own when I was in 18 to 22 year old range. It was like no parents. Um, don't let my mom know what I was doing, and just completely lived this life of um, just going out Thursday through Sunday night and enjoying a um, enjoying my freedom. But you know, really, you're never free when you think you are at that place, right? You know, you're not, because I was living by the social whims of. Alan, you're, you're, we want you at the party because you bring the most hype. So, and we need your DJ vibes. I'm like, for sure. So it's like everywhere I was going, it was just, you know, all that kind of, it was just nuts in that sense. And so it produced, it produced this season in my life where I was, you know, smoking marijuana, doing all that kind of stuff, drinking every night. And it was, um, I was in a fraternity. I was, completely the social chair. I was in student government. I mean, I was just, I'm a leadership dude. I love all that kind of stuff. So I was drawing all that kind of stuff. And I was in 18 different relationships um, before I found Christ. And so when I hit my, my low point came really when I was dating this girl at the time, she was going to be a doctor. I was going to be going to, you know, business, whatever I was going to, I got a degree in from St. Cloud University in PR and advertising because I wanted to be like the madman of the 60s, dude. Of the early 70s, if you know Mad Men show. I love John Hamm. He's kind of one of those, oh, he's kind of cool. I feel like I can relate to John Hamm from Mad Men. But I had one of those moments where I was like, I wanted to go into that. So we were going to we were gonna build this super life together. And I, it was one of those moments whenever a time I drank, I liked her. But when I wasn't drinking, I'm like, is she really the right one? It was just because when you're living selfishly, and you're living for yourself, you only think about yourself. And so you don't care about, you don't care about other people. When you're living, you know, the uniqueness about following Jesus is, is that is, it's like, the, it's the Copernicus revolution. Copernic, Copernicus thought that the, um, the sun revolved around the earth, but Copernicus made a story. He's made this, pro, proclaim this claim that says, no, the, the earth revolves around the sun. And everyone goes, you're crazy. And he was right. And it's an, in, and it's an inverted, it was an inverted way of living where everybody needs to follow me and versus Christianity says you follow Christ. And even in Christianity, you can say, Jesus, come follow me. And you can live an inverted gospel that allows where you say, Jesus, come follow me and, and do what I do and bless what I'm doing and bless what I'm putting my hands to. But if Jesus isn't, if but that's not how it is as a Christian. You say, Jesus, I'm following you, and I'm laying down my life. I'm losing my life. And so that's why true Christians, you, that's when push came to shove. And so when I'm saying everybody follow me and do what I want to do, when I hit my low point, and the end result was I found myself 
in a jail cell because I got busted by the cops for a party, found myself in jail, found myself with the girl I was dating at the time saying, I'm pregnant with a child and what are you going to do about this? And it was this whole moment of where in the world did I get? How did I get here at 22 years old? And my dad's a construction worker with a ninth grade, ninth grade education. My mom's a florist with a, a high school education. And here I am. I'm like, I'm going to end up doing what my father was. And I resented that. And that's part of the forgiveness story of later. And so it just kind of threw me in this tailspin. And eventually, um, what happened was is I found myself saying I got uh, the girl that I was dating at the time. I went to go. I got out of jail. And my I was in there for one night. Okay. And it's not like I got tattooed and had, you know, and had like a lover or something like that weird happening. It was like, I'm in there for one, like one night in the middle of the night I'm out. I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, somebody get me out of here. Back then I was like, something, somebody get me out of here because I can't handle it. I got bailed out and I went to go propose to this girl that I was dating at the time. And come to find out she had left the, left town and took all of her stuff with her. And she said, you've been the biggest jerk to me over the last two weeks because I've been trying to call you. You haven't returned my calls. You've avoided me, which I was doing because I was selfish, jerk. And um, when I went to go propose to her, she was gone. I got a letter saying, um, you owe me money for an abortion. I never want to see you again. You're the biggest a-hole. And that's when I said, I'm done with this. I called my mom, who became a Christian when I was about 16. And I called my mom and said, I'm going to go to church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my heart to God. And she's like, praise God, you know, because she was like fall in love with Jesus over the course of my high school years and came to a church like River Valley, got on my knees, gave my heart to God. And it was a radical, like, I never looked back. I like all my stuff. God just set me free of everything within the first like six months. And that was life. And it's, I've never looked back and I've just pursued. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean you don't have temptations. It doesn't mean it's, you don't you don't have guilt and regrets of things that you've done, but that was 22 years old. And now here we are. That's great. I mean, we're, we're here talking about forgiveness. And I think what I would love to hear is um, what did that, like, I think forgiving others is one topic. I think forgiving yourself is, is for me, I think maybe even harder. You said this to me last week and I actually wrote it in my phone cause it just got me. But you said um, that shame is, a false conviction. Um, talk to me about how you found a true sense of conviction, how you got from, man, I just like really messed up on a mate. Like I hit my low point, but what's my next step? Yeah. You went to church, yeah. but like, how did you forgive yourself? How did you move into true conviction and relationship in that moment? Yeah. And I think it all comes down to identity and knowing who you are and knowing who God is as a young adult. It's always going to start there. Here's why shame is a counterfeit conviction. Because shame will point at you, and he, shame will say, you are a terrible person. Conviction says you made a terrible choice. God gives you conviction. Shame will always attack your identity. It will, that's why it says, like, you're a terrible son or daughter. You're a terrible worker. You're a terrible Christian. And all that's attached to your identity. All that's attached to what your identity, you know what I mean? You're a terrible girlfriend. You're a terrible boyfriend. You're a terrible roommate. 
You know what I mean? Like shame and and mistakes you're making will point to your identity. But conviction says you made a bad choice, but you're still a son of God, right? Did you notice when Jesus said to the disciples, how, how are we supposed to pray? When Jesus said to the disciples, here's how you're supposed to pray. He begins the prayer with an identity piece in it. He doesn't say, when you pray, here's what you pray. You ask for, for forgiveness. Jesus doesn't even ask for forgiveness, tell you to ask for forgiveness in the Lord's prayer until the middle. The first thing he does in prayer is he says this. He says, if you're going to pray as a disciple of Christ, he says, here's what you do. You get on, you just, you get before God and you say, my father, you are in heaven. You are holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I need this daily bread today. I need a job. I need money. I need, I need your provision. Then forgive me my trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now go back to what it says. You, you start off by saying, my father, because you are a son or a daughter. And Jesus is saying, when you acknowledge God as father, it reaffirms that you're a son first. You're a son first before you're a college student. You're a son first before you're a barista worker. You're a son first before, before you're, you're Mr. So-and-so last name. You know what I mean? Put your name in there. You're a son of God. I'm a son of God before I'm a pastor, before I'm a father, before I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband. I've been married for 23 years. I've got two awesome kids. Um, I'm a pastor at River Valley. All of that's secondary. And when shame will come in and say, you're a terrible pastor, because no pastor would do A or B or C or D, right? So you talk about shame and, and being a false conviction, Whenever I feel like the enemy tried, because the enemy is the accuser, the enemy comes in. It says that he's literally accusing you all the time, saying, "Man, you are you're guilty of that. You're terrible." You know, constantly affirm. That's what his role is as the accuser. It says in in the scriptures, like in Revelation twelve, and I believe that's where it is. But there's a place where he's always standing as the accuser of the brethren, wherever that is. Um, but when you see yourself as a son or a daughter, then, and that's your primary identity, then you become, you say, whenever I start to seek God in the morning or at night, depending on where my schedule goes, I will say, thank you, God, you called me to be your son. You are my father. And I'm so grateful that I'm a son. I feel like I'm a terrible son. And I feel like I'm not worth you loving me. But I know that's not true. Because I know that you've loved me before I ever was saved. You know, he loved you before you ever loved him. And his love doesn't change. It doesn't diminish. The more you sin, the more his love gets less in your life or more diminishes. No way. It's always constant. That's the cool thing about God. His love is unchanging. His love is the same. He loves you at your best and your worst. And so when you get before God and you say, God, like, I am so, I'm so grateful that I'm your son. Thank you for being my father you know, and I start there, then that realigns my identity into who I am and all the shame that says, you're a bad leader, you're a bad pastor, you're a bad father, you're a bad husband, you're a bad student, you're a bad barista worker, you're a bad, I'll put your identity in there. I 
I realize that and I'll say, wait a second, stop for a second. That's attacking my identity. And I'm not going to allow my identity to be shaken because I'm a son first. And if I can grab a hold of that, that will redirect everything. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you love God. It'll change the way that you seek God. Because the more comfortable you are in the presence of God, the more comfortable you are in the presence of you. And the more comfortable you get in the presence of God, the more comfortable you will love who you are. You will love how you're made. You will love that you're, a, I'm, I'm, I love that I'm a seven on the Enneagram and not a three, right? I love that I'm an ENFP, right? I love that I'm all of those things because I, any, any ENFPs in here, if you even know who you are, oh my gosh, my people, I love you all. Hearts coming your way. Uh, I love it. And can you tell them what ENFP is referring to? What's that? Can you tell us what ENFP is referring to? Oh, it's the Myers-Briggs. It's the, yeah, conflict style or something or... Yeah, I mean, off. it's just kind of a Myers-Briggs test that you extroverted. take when you're in extroverted or introverted, like intuitive. Or thinker. Or thinker, yeah. yeah it's all that kind of um, F is feelings or or judging, and P is perception or for all my psych majors out there. Yeah, I forget what the last part is, but it's like the Enneagram of like 10 years ago, so whatever, but... <laughs> But it's, but yeah, so whatever, but it's great though. But I love, I love the more, and you, that's why I think when I go back to the shame thing and I'll let you go on, but I was going to say is the shame piece of it is like, I'm never going to allow shame to rule my life. And I think shame really, really rules like being, I love brotherhood. I love dude ministry. God said as a, as a, as in a fraternity, God says like redeem brotherhood. And I was, I was youth pastor at River Valley since 2003 up until 2012. So I knew Pastor Logan Ketterling when he was little third grade Logan Ketterling and he was then in my youth group. And so um, I feel like I can always one up Logan, Pastor Logan, anytime I can. So Logan, I love you wherever you're at. But I say all that to say though, it's like um, I realized that in the midst of all of that, growing in and finding out who you are and doing what you're doing, doing what you do, it's like the more that you discover and you're comfortable with your personality and how God made you and how you function, the less stressed out you get and the less shame tries to come in and say, I'm a bad pastor. It's like, no, I made a bad choice, but I'm still loved by God. Whatever. Yeah. You speak to identity and and I didn't put this in our topics for tonight, but, um, so you might be a little on the spot here. You told me last week that, um, you started writing verses in the back of your journal. And then you started speaking these over yourself, not like this weird memorization, like yeah. you didn't use Quizlet. Um, right. <laughs> I might have. <laughs> um, but will you just maybe even if you have a few off the top of your head of identity verses of things that you continue to speak over your life that um, are weapons in your spiritual warfare back pocket of these are verses, these are truths about my identity um, that you continue to use. Or even if you just want to explain to them what you told me about writing well, verses. Yeah, I mean, I am not a memorize a scripture like Sunday school style, if you even know what that term means. I'm like, that's not my way of doing it. I'm more of just, I have a journal that I have to record stuff in because I forget stuff. And if I read stuff in the Bible, like my journal isn't like, dear, isn't like a dear Jesus, thank you for today. I just feel so loved. But that's not what my journal life is like. My journal life is like, oh, that's a cool verse. Galatians 2.20. And then I sometimes I put the exact address. Sometimes I put like the cross streets, but it might not be the street, the house address, because I kind of 
you, I feel like memorizing the scriptures is, it's less about trying to get every exact word right, you know? Um, like, for example, I know 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, I know Romans 12, 1 and 2. I know that's what it says, for I've been crucified with Christ. Um, or, you know, excuse me, that one is, um, you're, I'm a living sacrifice. That's the living sacrifice. I don't know what the whole verse is, but I know, identity-wise, I'm a living sacrifice. That's an identity for me. So if I'm struggling with sacrificing for people, if I'm struggling with, like, oh, I want to live my own life and do my own thing, I'm like, no, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says I'm a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know the rest of the verse, but I know if I want to pray that, if I'm like, I'm struggling on sacrifice because I want to live for me. I'm like, I know that I can go there and be like, I'm just going to declare this. And I pray scriptures all the time because I think sometimes praying is hard. So if you can pray a scripture verse, how I pray the Lord's prayer and just start like, you know, praying Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me and this life. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's a massive verse uh, for me. And so I memorized that one because I prayed it so many times, you know, um, and so that's another identity. Those two are big identity ones of like, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. So when I meet people, I'm like, Christ, you got to live through me right now because I have zero desire to love this person because they're annoying. I have zero desire to love this leader. I have zero desire, you know, because you're just like, I don't agree with what they're saying. You know, you're trying to deal with stuff in work life and, you know, social life, political life. Like there's all these lives that you're trying to navigate through and you're like, this is hard, but it's about me being Jesus. And so I have to. So to your point, I've really tried to um, put verses down. If a verse that jumps out at me, I put it in the back of my journal. I just write it down. I put like a quick couple words and, and just so I know where it is. And then I will go ahead and I'll pray that verse. Cause sometimes you don't know what to pray. You just got to say, Jesus, you're like, Jesus, I don't know what else to say. I'm just like, Jesus, Jesus, you are God. I need all I can say. Sometimes I only know to say the name of Jesus because I have no idea what else to say sometimes. But then I'm like, Jesus, I need a verse. And I'll get in. God can speak through those verses in you when you know where they are. You know what I mean? It's like those of you that play piano, you know if like, I'll oh, play something in the key of G. You know you can play a C, D, E minor, D over F sharp, G, you know, A minor. You know, all that kind of stuff, you know, you can go up. You don't need music, but you kind of know how it goes if you're musical or if you're a guitar, you know, you know, the strum chords, it's like scriptures are like that. You know what I mean? You can just kind of flow. You can kind of just declare scriptures, pray scriptures because you know how those chords go, but, um, you don't necessarily have to know every single note and make, make sure every single note's being hit on the piano or the guitar. You just strum, you can kind of strum scriptures because you can't, you know where they're at. Because God's word for your life is God's will for your life. Plain and simple. God's word for your life is God's will for your life. If you have trouble with God's will for your life, go to God's word. I mean, start there and see where it goes, you know? Um, talk a little bit about uh, you go from this, like, wild lifestyle. Right. And, I mean, you and I connected a little bit on that. That's a little bit of my story. And we had a lot different. I kind of, for a year, was like doing everything I could to walk away from this. You kind of had like a breaking moment. Talk to us about, um, what was that? You got plugged into a church in Bloomington, um, and you just kind of bought into that community. How important was that to you? Um, what did it look like to, to go from, I'm so caught in a rut and I know, I know how to party really well, 
but I don't know how to do Jesus really well yet. How did you kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, it was the whole thing of I went out every night for years of my life, and then I became a Christian, and uh, all of a sudden I'm home on a Friday night, and I'm like, this sucks right now, you know? Because all my friends are partying, and I'm getting texts from everybody going like, hey, why are you not coming out to go hang out with us? Like, you know, and I'm, you, I've said this to you, I'm a firm believer that God, like, I can't stand it when Christians or when unsaved people become Christians and they become really lame, really boring, their whole personality is different, everything about them. You know, like, they used to be fun until they, until they found Jesus. I can't stand those stories because that's not how Christ meant it to be, Right? You should be the same person. You're just not, instead of getting, you know, instead of, you know, instead of two for one drinks, you know, at the thing, it's like ladies, two, it's like two for one drinks, ladies drink for free of the Holy Spirit versus, you know, then alcohol. You know what I'm saying? It's like that. It's like, I'm still a two for one ladies drink for free of the Holy Spirit kind of guy like I was when I was DJing, but it's different now. Pastor Rob, would, he's just like, Alan, you are crazy. And I'm like, yeah, it's because that's how I was. I was on the bar on the table getting hype. But when I got saved, I didn't become a super mellow dude, right? Because when you don't, if you're like, if I'm a red Maserati, I feel like sometimes when Jesus says, come to the cross, and then you get to the cross, and then just like, oh, this res model. I'm like, I love this Maserati. And Jesus is like, I know, you're going to have to leave that. And then you go to a beige Ford tempo. And Jesus goes, look what I got you. And you're like, I know, but I love the red Maserati. Like, this thing is so amazing. She's like, I know, but you're going to love this Ford Tempo. Why? It's a four-cylinder and it's beige. And I had a red Maserati. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? No, the whole thing is when you get saved at the cross, when you get to the cross, and I think a lot of Christians think, like, that's what's going to happen when you get saved. And that's, I ref, I, and God showed me that's how it works. When you get saved, you go to the cross and you're like, okay, here it comes. I get out of the Maserati, and Jesus is like, okay, where's my board, my beige Ford Tempo? Jesus goes, oh, no, no, you get back in your Maserati. You're just going in a different direction. But you're still the same make and model, right? You're going in a different direction, right? Same make and model, different direction. And so for me, it was like, okay, so here I am on a Friday night, and I'm like, I'm red Maserati, but I'm parked in my garage, and I should be going like 198 miles an hour. So I had to find community. And so I remember I, I went in and I threw myself in a community and I'm just like, and at, I was at a church that was similar to River Valley in the 90s and I went there in Bloomington, found this group of people and I realized like, okay, nobody here is like my friends. Okay, and that was hard because all my friends were like doing something like, I don't know anybody here and it's kind of like, I need to get to know people because this is family because when you get, you don't get saved into an organization, you get saved into a family. You don't get saved into a nonprofit org. You get saved into a family. So we become brothers and sisters, right? And brothers and sisters are different. Everybody's got their own flow and their own personality. So I'm like, okay, well, let's be a family. Let's go. And so we, I threw myself in a community. I was like, let's go to a movie. Let's go hang out. Then let's go out. And they're like, I don't feel like I'm really tired. I'm like, well, I'm still going to go out. So who wants, who's going with me? And then I'm like, no, you're staying up with me. Let's go. And we're just pushing through. I'm grabbing dudes. We're going for it. I'm like, I'm starting a Bible study. I can't, I'm super late, I'm sick of the Bible. I was like, well, I love the Bible, I just got saved, let's go. So you bring him in, and, and all my, and especially, I really was drawn to the people that were partying on the weekends, because they were like, I could tell, because they would come in like hungover, you know, and I'm like, hey, what'd you do last night, man? I go, and I go, let's go hang out. And so you tell me, and I'm like, dude, look, you're hanging out with me on Friday night, you don't, you don't need to get, you know, 
blitzed. You can, you're going to hang with me. So we go hang out. And he's like, this is great. And I'm like, exactly. I go, let's go to movies. Let's go hang out. Let's go do whatever. And we just, I just took control and created the community that I wished I would have had that's not like addicted to, you know, getting blasted drunk on the weekend, but that actually is still super fun. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so don't be a lame Christian and, and just a sad, you know, beige Christian. Like, get some color. Nothing wrong with beige or, you know, plain. But I'm saying be... Be the color you're supposed to be. Be the personality you're supposed to be. And let it be redeemed. Let God just redeem you. He's just going to point you in another direction. But you're still going to run with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Community is mean, everything. That's why these culture conferences are so important. That's why coming here is great. And you're all family. So you just move. It's okay to move from circle to circle and be like, hey, we're family. Who are you? Let's go out. Let's hang out. I don't know you before. You know what I mean? Don't be like, oh, my God, you're weird. You should just be like, okay, cool. You're a brother in Christ. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's just go for it and find and get to know them. And you don't have to be best friends because there's people, there are Christians that are going to be like, they're super annoying. They're not my style. They're not my friend. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to high five them. I'm going to move on. That's okay. There's still brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to be best friends. But find the people. Ruth 1.16 is one of my favorite verses. Remember those verses that you memorized that are weird? They're anchor points. Ruth 1.16 says, your people are my people. Your God is my God. And where you go, I go. So I look for my people. Not everybody's my people. Not everybody's going to be my people. But, I, but when I do find it, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like, cool. Like, you love to go, um, you know, you love to go. You love to go to cool coffee shops. Great. So do I. That's, that's, that's what my people like to do. Oh, you like to go to movies. You like to go to the midnight showings of Marvel movies. So do I. Cool. You're my people. Oh, you love, you love to go for it and worship. So do I. That's, that, you're my people. Oh, you love, to say, you love to hang low and not be expressive in worship. That's like me. I don't want to draw attention to myself because those other people draw attention. That's okay. That's your people. Like, find your people because those people are going to, they're following the God, the expression of God that you love. And where they go, you go as a tribe because you find your tribe. So find your tribe, right? You're not supposed to do because isolation is a mark of, of the enemy. Isolate because the per, isolate, anytime I see a Christian that's by themselves, it's the mark of the enemy because the devil, because Genesis 1, 28, um, um, let us make man in our image. God is a God of us and our, Genesis 1, 28. God's, God's not a God of me, my, me, myself, and I. It's, it's us and our. So if your Christianity doesn't have an us and our in it, then you're nothing like God. You're nothing like the Trinity. Oh, my God, watch out. Figure out who your people are. Find them. Get in relationship Build that, build that connection with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, two thoughts on that. I mean, you start out the story telling us that you're a leadership guy. You love to, you know, you're the social guy. And right. now you're a pastor. Right. You know? And now, now you lead so many people and you live such this high temple life. It's the same life yeah. that you had. It's yes. just a different direction. Yes. Yeah. And then a second thought, I mean, <laughs> your spirit of agreement all over your life. Um, no, I, I, I heard this thought a while back, and it just kind of stuck with me. For people who get, who go from unsaved to saved, it's almost awkward if you don't have a community around you. And here's why: you meet somebody who says, "Hey, Brett, I know you're a Christian. I just got saved. What do we do?" And you say, "Well, um, I don't really have any. I don't really have any friends, so I don't know." So you ask someone, "Abandon all your bad friends and come hang out with me and none of my friends." And so that's the point of a community is so that you don't have people coming up to you and saying, 
I want to follow Jesus, but you have no resources for them. And so that's why you're here. That's why we do life groups is because we want to get you in a circle that you can add to. I like one-on-one, but one-on-one when you're not saved and you're trying to find saved people is really hard. It's hard. I mean, you're a conversational guy. I'm a conversational person, but sometimes getting somebody into your circle is super hard. What did Jesus say to the 72? Go in twos. He said, get out there in twos and pairs. You need somebody next to you. So um, this thought that you get saved and you get into a circle, not you get saved and some pastor or some friend says, kick out all your friends, and then they have no alternative. We need to have an alternative. We need to have a space that people can step into. So I love that idea. But anyway, that's that was a tangent. Um, all right, so let's get back to your dad a little bit. Um, I know this is something that is really common in our culture, just sort of turmoil uh, in, in parent, parental-child relationships. And um, what was that like for you? I mean, what, what, what was you and your dad like? What is you and your dad like now? Um, yeah, talk about being raised in the home you were and, and the things that you went through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's one of those things where I think we're in – there's more orphaned um, people in this day and age than it was similar to the world wars because of divorce. So there's a lot of broken homes, fatherless, um, you know, young people in one of the stats I was reading. And um, and sometimes you can have a father in your own home that doesn't, you can't connect with, and they're never there, and they never are part of stuff with you. And it's almost, it's just like, you know, you're flying solo. And so, like with my case, like my dad was this, um, you, my, you know, I mentioned he's like a construction worker. He was gone throughout the week, and he'd come home on Fridays. And um, um, he, and I have a younger brother, and I got the creative side of the family. My brother got the super athletic side of the family. So while I was average at sports, he threw like a spiral at one years old. And I'm just like in football. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I hate him for it. And I was like, dang it. And I was, so I was kind of the, sports to me was teamwork, camaraderie, and I was average. Uh, and so my father really valued high athleticism. So I was frustrated because my dad really valued my brother over myself. And it really bothered me. And I remember I said, mom, I said to my mom, I'm like, Mom, do you think Dad loves Brian, my brother, more than, um, more than me? And she didn't say anything. And I just, it was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, I don't know if she was like watching a soap opera or if she did not hear me or if she was like, you know, had her headphones in. I'm like, why are you not talking to me on this? She never responded to it. And I thought, maybe that's true. So I just built up this and my, add, add to that, my father's an alcoholic. Add to that, he was um, uh, complete opposite. Think of everything you've, you're, you're observing about me right now. Think of parallel universe opposite. Like, that's exactly, you know, think like this and then go to Fat Thor. It's like complete opposite of what it, of what it would be in, like, family. You know what I mean? And since so I just declared myself a Thor god. That's really, didn't mean to do that, but... It's my Marvel shout-out for all the Marvel fans because I love Marvel. I'm a comic book nut. Um, but it's like that. You're like, that's not, you know, like everything opposite of, of, who, of what it is and who I was and who my father was. So we just had this really strained relationship. And I remember, um, and add alcohol into it. My dad and I were getting fistfights 
um, I remember I was like, I remember, I, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like lock the door in the bathroom. Mom's crying because my dad's drunk. I'm locking the door in the bathroom and I'm just like, get the F out of my house. And he's like, this isn't your house. It's my house. I mean, it was like that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? I was never, ever like repeatedly abused at all. It was more of my dad was like, oh, you want, you think you're a man? You want to get in a fist fight? Let's go. It was like that kind of stuff, right? Where it was just, you know, and then my best friend who, uh, we played um, hockey and tennis. He was like, his dad was amazing. And, you know, his dad was always there at the tennis match and always there at the football game, always there at the hockey, you know, and my dad was never to be found, but he was, my dad all went to my brother's game. And it was this weird, like, thing. So then, fast forward, I become a Christian, and my dad wasn't a Christian at all at this point. And it's just like, I become a pastor. I said, I'm going to be a pastor. He's like, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with your, who cares? Nothing to do with your profession. Um, don't bring Christianity to my house. You know, that kind of stuff. So it was just like, we just had zero disconnect. Well then, now I'm 32 years old. And I saw my dad at Christmas. And I moved away. And I'm just like, I got to build my my own awesome life. And so I just did it. But I didn't involve my dad into it. My mom became a Christian. And so we were talking, but it was... And my brother was not a Christian, so my dad and my brother were off. My mom and I were Christians now, and it was just this, it came in us versus them in a weird way. My mom was considering divorce and at one point, and it was just like a bunch of weirdness. And so I had, uh, my, my wife was pregnant with my firstborn, Anya, who's 16 and a half, who sings at Woodbury on the worship team with Miranda. And I remember going, oh my God, what if he dies? I feel like I've never said anything I needed to say. And it was really freaking me out. Like, I had this moment of, like, a regret. Like, if my father would pass away, am I going to be the guy that's just like, you know, I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away. You know that song from the 90s? You wouldn't know it. But it's this sad song about a guy that just, like, his dad died. He never got to say the things he said. I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm so aging, completely dating myself right now. But it's this whole thing went on. I was like, no. And so I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to him. And I felt like the scripture God used was get the father's blessing. God is a God of generations. God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that interesting? God isn't the God of Alan or God of Abraham. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who your father and grandfather is is extremely important. And your grandmother is extremely important. God is a God of generations. God is a God of generations. He values it. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the God of complete. So I thought, I don't, I just like, I, I don't, I, it was for me, it was the God of Alan. Like there was no generation there. And I'm like, oh, it's the God of Alan and Anya now. And because it's my daughter. And I go, but wait, where's my dad in this? So I'm like, I need my father's blessing. So I invited my dad to go on the porch at my house. And I went to the porch, and um, we he came out outside. We sat out there, and we kind of had steaks. And it was like we just – I was trying to do a dad moment. You know, we're having steaks and a cigar. And so I said, okay, we're going to go, and we're going to have this moment. And I said, Dad, I said, I felt like God said to me, get him alone, and you need to apologize for everything that you did. Um, and – and I'm like, but he's the dad. He should apologize first. And um, 
to which God, God put a, an anchor thought in my life, which is, um, it may, even though it may not have been your fault, it's still your responsibility. There are things in life that were never your fault, but it's still your responsibility. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, you have the responsibility to make it right. It may not have been your fault and it may not have been justified and it may not have been, been what you hoped for and you, and you can resent all you want, but it's never going to get you anywhere. So I remember I need to make this right because I'm the Christian. My dad isn't. I'm the mature Christian. My dad isn't. So I got him out there. I just said, Dad, I said, I got him. I literally got on my knees. And I said, Dad, I have to tell you something. And I said, this is not weird at all. I'm just get on my knees. I just want to tell you I'm deeply sorry for, for the things I did that hurt you. And, like, I said things. Now, my dad caused it, I felt. You know, like, he didn't come to the games. He was the one that showed up making me upset about my mom and my brother and I. It's like all this stuff, and I'm like, but I still had my part to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, my part was still part of it in some way. So I said, will you forgive me? Now, here's the point. When you ask someone to forgive you, you don't, it's not about their response. It's about your obedience, right? You're supposed to be a forgiver. You're supposed to be a forgiver. You want to know how the most you'll ever look like Christ is when you're forgiving, forgiving someone. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Remember Jesus said those words on the cross? You will never be more like Jesus than when you are saying, God, I forgive them because they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't mean it. They don't know it. Somehow, in some way, in my life, you gave me clarity. Somehow, in some way, in my life, you showed me, you're showing me that I can forgive. And it's not about his response that makes it legit. And you might say, oh, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do it. I don't feel like it's the right thing. Well, sometimes you got to let feelings catch up to your obedience. Right? So there's a lot of things you got to do in Christianity where you don't feel like doing it. But you do it. And eventually your feelings will catch up to the obedience because feelings lag all the time. And feelings get ahead of you all the time. I feel like God wants me to do this. And you get there and you're like, cool, I'm pulling the obedience trigger. And you're like, oh my God, God's nowhere to be found. I completely missed, I missed the timing, you know? And then there's times you were just like, I'm going to do it. I don't feel like worshiping today, but I do it. I don't feel like worshiping today, but I'm going to do it because obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey, you love me if you obey. I'm going to do it because it's, it's expected of me as a Christian. It's my response as a Christian. And my feelings will eventually, I'll eventually feel like God loves me. I'll eventually feel like this is appropriate, but I don't feel it right now. That's okay. Just, just do it because God says to do it. So I did it in that moment. I just, I said, sorry. And my father said, um, well, he goes, uh, okay. He goes, well, I don't know what to say. And I said, would you just mind just, I said, in the Bible, they call it praying a blessing, but he wasn't a Christian yet, but I needed a father's affirmation. And I said, would you just affirm something in this moment over me? Would you just do something affirming? That's all I'm asking. In the Bible, they laid hands on their son. It'd be great if you did that. You don't have to, though. You know, and he said, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said these words that I've never, ever heard up until this point. He probably said it a couple times in my life. But my dad's a, a war veteran and he's very, very, like I said, 
everything opposite. Probably he's not a communicator like I am. He's just very like, just different. And he said so, and I realized now he's very different, and that's okay. But in the midst of that, he said, he said, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And that comes from the place of saying, he wasn't proud of me. He never showed it by going to things and supporting my sports and supporting my acting and supporting all the stuff. Um, he uh, he never told me he loved me because that's too emotional for a, a war veteran father. You're right. And I'm like, it changed my life. It totally changed everything about it. And I didn't expect that. And I said, and from that moment I said, I will always tell my father I love him. I told him every every time I talked on the phone, I said, I love you. He never he never said I love you back for at least a year. Then finally after he slowly started saying it more and more, get this. When he's um sixty three years old, my mom calls and says he he accepted Jesus for the first time. 63. This was 20 years in the making. I said I loved him for 20 years before he ever said, I love you and Jesus loves you in the same sentence. And I said, Dad, what made you? Why did you become a Christian? Like, what made it? And he goes, it was the faith of you and your mom loving me when I didn't deserve the love. I can't, I'm just like, this is like, I can't believe you said that to me. Like, that's what... That's just, and so I don't know what relationships are in your life where you're estranged from a father or a mom or a brother or a sister. But in this room now, you're, you have an accountable, you're having an accountable response. You've got to go make it right. And who gives a rip how they respond? You just do because it's the right thing. Because remember, it may not have been your fault, but it's your responsibility to make it right. So just make it right. Because that could be the very thing that could unlock the salvation for those for your loved ones in your life. Incredible. I told you guys that you would enjoy that interview with Pastor Allen. I knew you would. Uh, such an amazing story of what God did in his life. And uh, he's just encouraging people every weekend at our Woodbury campus. So if you're out on the east side, make sure to check out Woodbury. They just moved into a new building. Super exciting to see. But uh, our last Part three uh, was an interview we did with Darren and Pat Utech, and we actually have the full audio and video up on our YouTube channel. So maybe you've listened to the podcast and you haven't jumped on our YouTube channel, or you're into both, but uh, we have part one, part two here, and uh, that final part is up on the YouTube channel, River Valley 20+. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Maybe you love audio. You can just pull up the video in the background, or you can watch the video where I got to interview Darren and Pat. So all three parts are now up for Culture Combos. Our next Culture Combo won't be until March, which is sad, but we take a break for the end of the school year. Uh, but I do want to let you know that we have 20 plus winter coming up, which is where all of our campuses come together uh, every single season. And so that's going to be February 7th at our Apple Valley campus. I have the privilege of being able to speak at that one. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll have food, games, tons of young adults from all over the Twin Cities. So if you're not doing anything Friday, February 7th, make sure to make it to that. It's going to be an amazing night. And then, of course, we have life groups that are relaunching at the end of January and our service at the University of Minnesota as well. We're just so excited for all that God's doing within 20 plus. And so make sure to be tuning in over break. We'll be having more content and we may or may not be starting a different style of podcast starting in 2020. Uh, We will be, by the way. May not is not an option, but super excited for that. 
So make sure you have an amazing rest of your Christmas season and New Year's, and we'll kick it off 2020 right with more content. We can't wait to see you back, and we'll see you at 20 Plus Winter. Enjoy. Happy New Year.